the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I'm going to talk to you today about seven things that will help you to overcome doubt in your life. And in so doing, you become more effective and persevering and consistent in prayer. The first thing that's necessary if you and I are going to overcome doubt is, is to develop what I'm going to call a simple faith. Not a complex faith, but a very simple faith. God calls all of us to faith, and all too often we think of faith as something that is huge, something that only spiritual people have. But I will tell you something, every person here today, you have faith. You would not be in this room today if there were not already some dimension of faith in your life. Faith is all about having a confidence. When we're talking about faith in a person, it's having confidence in the integrity of that person. It's having confidence in the promises of that person and having confidence in the ability of that person. When it comes to having faith in God, it's having confidence that God will never, ever lie to you, having confidence that God is a God who has promises for you and being confident that God can do anything he says he can do on your behalf. It's called a simple faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 describes the simplicity of our faith. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Again, faith is not complex. Faith is simple. Hebrews eleven six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Those that come to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Let me give you the equation, if you will, for simple faith. Simple faith involves believing three things. It's declaring with our lips and with our heart, I believe God is. I believe that he exists. I believe God is. Second of all, I believe God can. And thirdly, I believe God will. When it comes to praying and talking to God, we approach him knowing that we believe that you are God, that you exist, that you are the real living God. And God, I believe that you can. You can do anything that you promise to do. And God, I believe that you will do your work in my life. Simple faith. It is not complex. You come to God. You overcome your doubts by saying, I believe God is. I believe God can. And I believe God will develop simple faith. Don't make it complex. The second thing I'd like to share with you today in terms of overcoming your doubts is to never let your doubts keep you from praying. It would be great if we had 100% faith all the time. But the reality is there are times that you and I doubt. And I will tell you this, as long as there's a devil around, there will be doubt around. Because the devil works in such a way as to try to cause us at times to 
question God or question whether God's going to respond to us. But the key is to never let your doubts dictate your prayer life. Don't let your doubts tell you when you're going to pray and when you're not going to pray. You're going to pray always whether you're battling with doubt or not. Because this faith is a simple faith, not based upon your feelings. It's based upon a response, an approach to God. There's a great story in the Bible that helps us to see that God works in people who pray in spite of their doubts. Let me take you to Mark chapter 9, the story, uh, to give you the context of the story. Jesus has been up on the mountainside praying, and while he was praying, a man approached his disciples at the foot of the mountain, asking for the deliverance of his son, who was demon-possessed, and the disciples had not been able to produce this deliverance, and so now the man is going to, to ask Jesus for his intervention. Let me take you to the story, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Now notice now, here's the request. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Notice his prayer. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. How many know that's kind of a weak prayer? If you can do anything, Jesus, help us. Now notice Jesus' response. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Jesus said this can thing. Let's get that out of the way. Everything is possible for who anyone who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I love the honesty in this man. He's not trying to present himself as something that he's not. He's, trying to, he's not trying to make himself seem like this massive person of faith. He's saying, Lord, Lord, I do believe, but I'm struggling a little bit here. I do believe, but I'm wondering if you really can do anything to help me. I do believe, but there, there's some doubts going on inside of me. I believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? I am so glad that Jesus did not dismiss the man in that moment and say, you know what, come back when you've got enough faith. He didn't do that. He said, right now in this moment, I'm going to do something. When Jesus saw the crowd, that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Dear ones, never let your doubts keep you from praying. Let me pose a question to you this morning. What if this man had allowed his doubts to keep him from praying? 
His son would have never experienced his deliverance. And there are many prayers that you might pray in the midst of some faith, but also some doubts. You keep on praying anyway. Never let your doubts keep you from praying. God is bigger than your doubts. Use the faith that you have. And when you use the faith that you have, God will help you get what you need to get you over the hump, to get you past whatever it is that you're facing. Number three, understand how God answers prayer. This will help you deal with doubt. God answers prayer in in, in a variety of ways. And just because we ask God for something doesn't mean that at that very moment he jumps to our beck and call and does it for us. God is much wiser. God is much better than that. God loves us much more than that. God answers our prayers not on the basis of our urgencies, but on the basis of His will. I truly do believe that every sincere prayer offered by a believer to God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, when you and I pray as believers, I believe that God answers every prayer. I believe that. Now, how does He answer? He answers in a variety of ways. Sometimes God answers your prayers with a yes. God says, yes, I'm going to do that for you. I'm in agreement with what you're asking for. It is in line with my will. And yes, I answer you affirmatively. And there are many of us here, if not all of us here, that can look back on our lives and talk about times when we prayed a prayer and God answered. God gave us a yes. But as surely as God will give you a yes, sometimes God will give you a no. And a no is an answer to prayer. As surely as a yes is an answer to prayer, a no is an answer to prayer. And when God says no, it's because he knows better what's going on in your life. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. He is a wise God, a loving parent. And every loving parent will not only say yes to their kids, sometimes a loving parent has to say no to their children. And if all you ever say is yes to your kids, you're going to raise some spoiled brats. There'll be kids that'll not know how to appreciate certain things, and there'll be things that they'll get themselves into in life that will not be good for them. A good parent, yes, they say yes, but sometimes a good parent will say no, and God, as a good parent to you, will say no to you sometimes. And so God sometimes says yes, and God sometimes says no, and God sometimes says wait. God says, you're not ready for what I want to do for you right now. And maybe it's in line with my will, but, but there's, there's something I want to do in you or something I want to do in the people around you or something I want to do in the circumstances associated with your life. But you just need to wait. Yeah, their answer is coming, but it's not right now. You're going to have to wait. And so God says, yes. And God says, no. And God says, wait. I will tell you, you're learning something about your faith and growing in your faith and maturing in your faith when you're able to praise God when he says yes and praise God when he says says no and praise God when he says wait. How many of you are ready to praise God for all three of those answers this morning? He answers your prayers. Let me illustrate one, one aspect of this, the waiting aspect. For centuries, there were prophecies pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ. For hundreds of years before Jesus came, prophecies in Scripture going all the way back to the book of Genesis about the coming of Jesus Messiah, and people were praying for the Messiah to come, and praying for the Messiah to come, and praying and praying literally for centuries and millennia before Christ came. And notice what Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law. There was a set time. God says there's the right time, the right moment, and God sent Jesus at just the right time. Had people been praying for years for that answer? Of course they had, but there was a right time. Let me tell you something. There is a set time for the promises of God in your life. 
there's a right time. And so when God says yes, you praise him. When God says no, you praise him. And when God says wait, you praise him because you can trust God. Understand how God answers prayer. Number four is in line with this third point. I want to highlight it more specifically. You need to trust the superiority of God's wisdom and God's plans. Several months ago, I was invited to the Museum of the Bible for a banquet and a special uh, tour of the facility. And by the way, I would say this to you, if you have not yet gone to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, you really should take time to go and visit. Tremendous, tremendous uh, museum. But I was there for this event, so it was a banquet first, and so they brought me in, my wife and I, and we sat down at our table. And of course, my wife is to one side, and there's a gentleman to my, I believe he's to my right, and uh, I was introduced to him. And so we start the conversation, and I asked this gentleman, by the way, what do you do for a living? Where do you work? And he said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a professor at MIT. I thought, oh, no, I'm in really big trouble here. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to ask him some really sophisticated questions. <laughs> so I start asking him about what he does. He starts talking. I'm like, I'm in a different zone here. He's talking about artificial intelligence. He was actually the chairman of one of the departments there at MIT. He's talking about robotics. I'm like, yeah, I get that. It's understandable. Yeah, yeah. I know something too. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. <laughs> but I'm in a conversation with someone. He's so far above me. It's not even funny, okay? He's so far above me. And we have to understand that God is so far beyond us that our reasoning doesn't even match with the reasoning of God, okay? Look, if you will, with me at Psalm chapter 86, verse number 10. Read it aloud with me, if you will. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. God is in a class by himself. We can't grasp his wisdom. That's why many of the things that God will do, we can't understand, We don't understand why it happened that way. We can't figure it out because God's wisdom is beyond our wisdom. In fact, there are times when it looks like we're actually receiving the opposite answer to a prayer that we're praying, but what seems like a setback in our lives really is a setup for an amazing victory. We just don't understand it. It's exactly what happened with the crucifixion of Jesus. They thought, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to put him down. He's causing trouble for our religion. We're going to get rid of him. And they thought, we'll, we'll, we'll kill him. We'll crucify him. And they thought that they had won the victory. And so on that Friday, they crucified him on the cross. What they didn't count on was that Sunday was coming. They didn't realize that what looked like a defeat actually was going to turn into an amazing victory where he would prove that he was indeed the Son of God by rising from the grave. I want to tell you today that in time, there are times in your life when it seems like it's Friday, everything's dying all around you, but don't you give up on Friday because Sunday is coming. Amen. You may not understand it at the moment. You may not be able to figure it out. Your reasoning may not be able to comprehend it. That's okay because God's reasoning is bigger than your reasoning. First Corinthians chapter two, verses seven and eight. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They thought they were getting rid of him. They were simply setting things up for an amazing victory in his resurrection. Number five, the fifth thing, how do you break through doubt? You record and recall God's answers. All of us have as human beings this terrible tendency. We all have it. Here's the tendency that you have, I have. 
We have this, this nature that causes us to remember things we ought to forget and forget things we ought to remember. There are certain things in your life that you need to forget, forgetting those things that are behind. But how, you know, how many of you know that sometimes those things you ought to forget, you keep remembering? And there are certain things you ought to remember, but you still forget them. You ought to remember what God has done, what God has done in your life. And the Bible is full of calls to us, encouragement to us to remember what God has done, to look back on our life five months ago or five days ago or five years ago or five decades ago and remember the miracles that God has done. Remember the works that he's done in your life. Psalm 77 verse 11, the psalmist said, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I'm going to put it into my memory. I'm not going to forget this. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 25. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So what is communion about? It's a moment to remember. When I take that piece of bread and you take that piece of bread, it's remembering Jesus, you gave your body on the cross for me. I should have died for my own sins, but you took my place. And I hold that piece of bread and I say, thank you. I remember what you did for me. I remember the miracle of you giving your life in my place. And I take that little cup that represents the blood of Jesus. And I think about all the sins in my life and all the times that I've needed forgiveness and how I need forgiveness now and how Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary so that I could be washed and clean. And I think, thank you, Lord. I remember that you shed your blood so that I can be clean. Remember the works of God. It builds faith in your life. Going back in the Old Testament, the people of God had an interesting practice. Their practice oftentimes was when God would do a miracle, they would build a monument to remember the miracle. One story I want to refer you to today is found in 1 Samuel chapter 7. It's a story of... The time in Samuel's life when Samuel is leading Israel as the prophet priest, if you will. And, and as he's leading Israel, there's a moment when the Philistines are trying to come against Israel again. They're enemies. And so they're facing this vulnerable moment of potential destruction by the Philistines. And, and they're asking Samuel to pray. Let's pick up the story in verse 7. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. Then they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb and sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. So he's interceding, he's praying, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines Uh, drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's life, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. Here's this moment. 
that Samuel has been praying on behalf of Israel. God, deliver us from the Philistines. They're about to destroy us. And God answers the prayer. And they experience this amazing miracle. And Samuel says, before we leave this place, somebody go get a stone. Somebody go get a big old rock. Because we don't want to move on from this place without marking this point of a miracle. And so they put a stone down and Samuel said, we're going to give that stone a name. And that stone's name was Ebenezer, means the Lord has helped us thus far. God has helped us. And so that stone was there so that every time the Israelites would pass the stone, they would remember that's Ebenezer. That goes back to the time that God did that miracle in our lives. And every time they'd bring their kids by that stone, they would have an opportunity to explain Guys, let me tell you what that stone's all about. We were about to be destroyed by the enemy, but God delivered us and God saved us. It was a miracle moment. God helped us. That's an Ebenezer. Let me tell you, you need to build some Ebenezers in your life. Put some stones up that reminds you of what God has done. Listen, don't let a miracle go by without stopping and celebrating and putting it in your memory and going back to that memory. Why? Because it builds your faith. When you're going through a tough time, you can say, you know what? I remember the Ebenezer where God helped me the last time. If he helped me then, he's going to help me now. And if he helps me now, he's going to help me tomorrow as well. I'm trusting in the God who does miracles in my life. It builds your faith. See, we're talking about overcoming doubt. So powerful. Do you have miracles that you can remember? Number six, focus on the promises of God and the God of promises. Remembrances takes you and will take you into your past. Promises take you into the future. One of the best ways to build your faith is to focus on the promises of God, the God of the promises. Let me tell you something. Listen closely. In this book called the Bible, there are all kind of instructions for us and commandments and principles that we live by. But I'll tell you something else in this book. The book is filled with promises. And when you read your Bible, you need to search for the promises of God. When I was seven years old, I got a hold of a promise that changed my life. I heard the promise of John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, there's the promise, shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I thought, I, I want... I don't want to perish. I want everlasting life. I need salvation. And so, and the Bible says that if I believe in Jesus, if I believe that he's the son of God and believe that he died on the cross for my sins and believe that he rose again from the grave, that I can have eternal life. And so when I was seven years old, I put my faith in Jesus. I claimed that promise. And that day, when I was seven years of age, I received eternal life. I'm not waiting to get eternal life. I already have eternal life. That means, in one sense, I'm not going to die. And I don't walk out of here and say, oh, Pastor Dale said he's never going to die. I didn't say that. Okay. I will die in one sense physically, but I'm not really dying. I'm just simply changing addresses, okay? Because I already have eternal life. I'm not waiting to get it. I have eternal life now because I've put my faith in Jesus. And there's a good reminder for you today. If you have never put your faith in Christ, you need to do that today. That's the beginning point for you. So you can have the assurance that when you die, you know where you're going. It's already settled. And by the way, if you also are here today, you have loved ones who know Jesus, who've already died and gone to heaven. They're in the presence of God. They're in their own mansion. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may be also. Jesus promised to prepare a place for us. Okay. And so we have these promises of God. Now look at the scripture, what it says here. Second Corinthians 1.20. No matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many promises God has made, they are 
yes in Christ, and through them the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Whatever promise you find in this book, God's response when he gives you a promise is yes. Yes, I'm behind that promise. He's waiting for us simply to add the amen to the promise. What does amen mean? It means so be it. I claim that for my life. And so what builds your faith will be the promises of God. God has said yes, you say amen. The last point I'd like to share with you today is this. You want to overcome doubt, just simply learn to live in obedience. I want to cover this very quickly, but it's very important. Even when you don't understand what God is asking you to do or understand what he's telling you to do in, your word, in his word, just do it. Even when you don't feel spiritual and you don't feel like that you want to even do what he's asking you to do, here's the, here's the way to build your faith. Just do it. When you obey, you're actually saying, I believe. You're saying, I'm trusting. I don't understand this. Don't necessarily even feel it, but I'm going to do it because I believe that God, whatever God says is right and whatever God says is good. And so you obey and your obedience is a statement of your faith. Sometimes you may not feel like doing what God's told you to do, but don't you live on your emotion. You live by obedience because your obedience builds your faith. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Good news. You are not... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.